0: Don't you know love is the greatest thing that the world has ever known? our campuses to week four, Love Comes to Town. We're glad you guys are with us today. Um, I want to give a uh, welcome, if you're new, um, our small groups. We're going through this six-week church-wide journey in which we're learning how to become um, what I call graduate-level lovers. There's like normal loving, but then there's like graduate level where we're loving God and loving others with more depth and authenticity. And so this is a great series, but I need to warn you, um, today's going to be hard, okay? Today we're talking about a tough topic. This is a very sensitive subject, so I just want to warn you. The topic is how do you have conflict with somebody you love? Now, some of you may be like, well, Tim, that's not very hard. I have conflict all the time, uh, you know, with people that I love. But how do you have loving conflict with those that you're close with, right? You know, when, when things aren't like right in a relationship or they're sort of going a little bit off or sideways, maybe you see a friend or a family member, their life's getting off track, they're making some poor choices that, you know, affect them or other people, they hurt them. How do you confront them in a loving way? Or, or put it in other words, how do you speak the truth in love in a way that deepens the relationship without damaging it or, you know, blowing it apart, destroying it. Uh, Today, I want to share with you a message. It's going to be immensely practical. It's called To Tell You the Truth, and it's located on page 20 of your group's guide. So if you want to turn there, this is going to be kind of like a graduate-level class for people who are serious about learning how to have loving conflict. Now, this is a skill that really nobody's good at, right? I mean, we are not taught this in school. Uh, you rarely see it in families. You certainly don't see a model that worked very much. But this is really essential to building strong, mature relationships that are marked by depth and intimacy and honesty. Uh, how do you communicate? You know, hard to hear truth to somebody that you care about, OK? It requires maturity. And that's why I want to warn you. This is like a message for mature audiences. And if you turn to page 20, you'll see our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's read this together out loud. Ready? We will speak the truth in what? Love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Speak the truth in love. Now, quick show of hands. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Speaking the truth in love. Okay, a bunch of hands, some It's new for you. Um, A better show of hands, how many of you have ever received step-by-step training how to do that? Like, you hear that all the time, like, I'm going to speak the truth in love, whammo! Well, that didn't feel loving, right? It's a lot more nuanced than you think, and that's because we are not Christ, we are followers of Christ, and sometimes I wish, you know, I had the mind of Jesus, like, completely, right? Jesus always knew the right thing to do. In any relationship or situation, if you study his life, you'll find that sometimes Jesus avoided conflict. Other times, Jesus resolved conflict. He spoke truth, and it brought forgiveness and reconciliation. But other times, Jesus created conflict. In other words, he intentionally provoked it. And in your life, there are really all three of those responses will be appropriate at some point. Sometimes you need to avoid conflict. Sometimes you need to resolve it. But sometimes, as a follower of Christ, you need to create conflict. Because if you truly love somebody, there's going to come this moment when you can't just tell them what they want to hear, you need to share what they need to hear. The problem with this is a lot of us misunderstand this. We think, well, we're, we're, fought, we're Christians, and so we're supposed to be peacemakers, right? We've got to keep the peace. And so a lot of people mistakenly think that means avoiding confrontation. They think keeping the peace means, oh, you know what? I'm going to hide my hurts. I'm going to kind of, you know, stuff down my feelings. I'm going to overlook, you know, an awkward situation. I'm going to look past the problems in my life and just pretend everything's okay. But the Bible actually says that suppressing the truth rather than speaking the truth in love causes trouble. The question is, how do you do this without blowing up a relationship? I mean, we all believe this, right? You know the phrase. Honesty is the best. It sounds good in theory, right? But there's a lot of times in life when you don't think that honesty is a good idea in practice. For instance, you might think, man, Tim, if I told my father the truth, he'd never speak to me again. If I told my husband how I really feel about our marriage, he would blow up. Uh, If I told my boyfriend the truth about something I see in his life, he would leave me, you know? If I told my wife the truth, my frustration with our love life, she'd accuse me of a one-track mind him, if I spoke the truth to my boss and said, I think what we're doing is unethical, he'd fire me. You know, if I confronted my friend and told her she needs counseling, she'd never speak to me again. Love is not always easy. Love isn't always fun. And sometimes love requires courage. In fact, sometimes love requires confrontation. Can we all say that word together? Confrontation. For the last three weeks, we've talked about some of the, the basic, obvious aspects of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love crosses the street to help others. But today, we go into a deeper level, people, of love, okay? This is literally like getting your master's degree in loving. If you want to move from, like, elementary school kind of love and become a graduate-level lover, you're going to have to learn how to put into practice Ephesians four fifteen. We, that's the church, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ. Notice it's progressive. What's the goal of your life? Maturity, growing to be like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. And be encouraged, guys, because this is a skill nobody's good at, okay? I'm certainly no expert at it. I doubt many of you are professionals because we're never taught how to have loving conflict. Nobody ever sits us down at like age 15 and say like, okay, when there's a super awkward situation, here's how you speak it so that the relationship grows stronger. Here's how you confront somebody. Fortunately, we have two great models for this. Uh, Jesus Christ himself and the Apostle Paul. Paul, I think, is a particularly good example because he actually wrote two letters that were all about conflict. uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Corinth was a city in Greece, and Paul actually had started a church there. But after Paul moved on, he had to write letters because the church was so jacked up. (laughs) Like, there were major problems everywhere. These Christians had totally blown it. So he reads these very, two very hard-to-hear letters to them. He's brutally honest. And if you look at it, basically every chapter of 1 and 2 Corinthians is about a different problem. Paul's like, you're blowing it here. You need to change your attitude about this. you got to work on this. You really screwed this up. And he had to deal with one issue after another with this brutal honesty, speaking the truth in love. And so from these two letters that Paul wrote, today we're going to learn the four steps of how to speak the truth in love. If you're taking notes, you may want to open your guide, write one, two, three, four. We're going to talk about these in order today. And if you follow these four steps to loving conflict, I guarantee it will improve your relationships. I didn't say it will magically fix them. I guarantee, though, it will make your family stronger. It will make a stronger relationship. It will build a stronger business, a stronger church. Almost any relationship will be benefited by the skill of loving conflict. So if you're taking notes, we're just going to jump right in step number one. Before you ever confront anybody in love, you first have to check your motives. you got to make sure you have a pure heart. You have to ask this question. Why do I need to talk with them about this issue? Why do I want to confront this person with the truth? Because honestly, there's a bunch of bad motivations, right? There's bad reasons for confronting someone. For instance, you may want to confront somebody just because you're jealous of them, right? Or you're irritated, you're ticked off, you're frustrated. You know what? I need to speak the truth, and you feel better. You blow off some steam, but you also blow up the relationship. Uh, What's your motivation? Maybe you're angry with them, or you want to get even, or you want to point something out that's kind of wrong in their life because it's going to make you feel a little spiritually superior, okay? Okay? Or you might have envy. There's all sorts of twisted motivations for saying, I need to speak the truth to that person. So before any confrontation, you have to check your motivation. What's the right motive? And there's only one answer. It's to help them grow, not to make you feel better. It's to help them grow, not to hurt them. The only time you speak the truth in love and confront with a loving attitude is because you love that person and you want to help them, not hurt them. You're doing it in love. We see this in Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 12, he, like, drops a truth bomb. He is brutally honest with them about what things were, like, out of whack in their life. He's like, this is wrong. You need more commitment. Your attitude is totally off. It's got to change. And here's what Paul writes. He says this, we tell you this as Christ's servants. Everything we do, dear friends, is for whose? Your benefit." So Paul starts by saying, you know what, I'm not saying this for my benefit. I'm not saying this like to get a kick out because I get a kick out of it or to get a rise out of you. I'm saying it for your benefit. I'm saying this because I want to build you up, not tear you down. This is to help you, not me. Think of it this way. In your life, there's two kinds of relationships that you have. On this side, you have all of your shallow superficial relationships, right? Like the majority of relationships people have, they're just kind of surfacy, right? That's what most people in the world have. Surface, shallow relationships. On the other side, you have those deeper, richer, meaningful, intimate relationships. The much shorter list, right? Where there's like soul to soul bonding and connection between people. Here's my question. How do you get from shallow, superficial relationships to deep, strong, intimate ones? I mean, whether it's a friendship, a relationship, a business partnership, whatever. There's only one way. And that is to go through what Rick Warren calls the tunnel of truth. I want to give him credit for this content. He says, "Picture a mountain, and on one side are the shallow, superficial relationships, and on the other are the deep, rich, authentic ones marked by transparency and love." But there's a mountain separating them, and the only way to get through the mountain is a tunnel, the tunnel of truth. This is actually a photo of Bluff Mountain Tunnel in Virginia. We photoshopped it to read "Tunnel of Truth." OK? But uh, it's a famous tunnel. It was built in the 1930s by engineers because there's this giant mountain in Virginia, the Blue Ridge Mountains there. And the engineers were like, we can't go over it. We can't go around it. We can't tunnel underneath it. And so they blasted their way through it with dynamite and packed it with rock. But this is one of the most terrifying tunnels in America for you to drive through. Why? Because it's dark. Notice, when you go in, you don't see what's inside and you don't know what's coming at you out of the other side. And that's a picture of the tunnel of truth. In the tunnel of truth, you deal with all the issues in the relationship that are scary and dark, and I don't really want to deal with this, you know? Uh, We can't talk about that. Let's just push that aside. Let's not talk about that. You know, that'll just make things... We want shiny, happy people holding hands, right? I don't want to go in the tunnel, man. That's scary. That's dark. It's dangerous. I don't want to go through that. But Watch. In the tunnel of truth... You have chaos. You don't know what's going to happen. You have conflict. There's collisions. You have confrontation, and it's a little bit scary. So when you have a shallow relationship and you say, you know what? We're going to take the relationship to a deeper level, and you go into that tunnel, it's going to scare you to death. That's why most people don't go in. It's dark. It's dank. It's dangerous. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it gets a little bit loud. Why? Because have you noticed? People get emotional about sensitive issues. (laughs) And you ever have that conversation, in the middle of the conversation, you're like, you know what, let's put it in reverse, back out of the tunnel, beep, 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 right? A whole lot easier. Let's just stay on this side of the mountain and preserve the status quo. You know, don't rock the boat. Guys, that's why the majority of relationships stay on the surface. They are shallow friendships. They are superficial marriages. And over time, the love dies. But if you check your motivation and you actually get the courage to enter that tunnel of truth, and you deal with the issues in a person's life that need confrontation, and you come to this place of deeper understanding and compromise, guess what? You will come out on the other side in a relationship of genuine intimacy. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. You will come with this deeper, richer, authentically loving relationship. It's beautiful, it's rare, but it's totally worth it. You know, this week, I asked a few friends in the church to write me um, just a quick email of an example that I could share with you today. I said, guys, give me an example uh, in your life, a real-life example, where somebody spoke the truth to you, where, where somebody told you something you didn't you know, you, you want to hear, but you needed to hear it. And maybe it was hard at first, but then God actually used it to grow you in a, in a powerful way. I wanted to sh- share a few of these with you during the message. Here's one. This person wrote, Tim, a few years ago, when I was single, I was a flirt. I was very flirtatious. And a friend called me out on it. I was really offended and actually avoided her at first. But looking back, I realized she was right and I was immature. Although it stung at the time because it was true, it made a difference in the way I started treating women from that day forward. Hard to hear when you're single, right? Another person wrote this. "Um, I know personally how much I value truth in my own life. I remember complaining to a friend one time about how angry my dad got. I was sharing the details And she gently and softly said, that sounds a lot like you right now. (laughs) It hit me between the eyes that I was so much like him, allowing anger to rule me. I had to repent and ask God for healing in a gentle soul. It was one of the kindest and hardest gifts I've ever been given. But it changed me profoundly. See, Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Wounds from a friend can be what? Trusted. But an enemy multiplies what? Kisses. In other words, an enemy flatters you. They don't tell you anything. Just go, oh, you're the best. (laughs) But wounds from a friend can be trusted. In other words, it's a sign of deep love and commitment that you care about somebody enough to tell them the truth even when it hurts. And understand, you do this only with people you care about. I'm worried right now because some of you are like, I have this gift. I can spot a, fo- a fake, a flaw a mile away. I have the spiritual gift of criticism. Yeah, this is not an open season, okay? Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean now you're the policeman of the world, okay? You point out flaws in everybody's life. That is not your job. But if you have a committed relationship with a person, God says, as, my, as a Christ follower, you have an obligation to gently and humbly point out things that would be for their best. And you only do it with people who you want to have a deeper relationship with. I'm talking close friends and family members. If you don't have a relationship, you don't do it, right? You just step over it, right? You know, if you're at the store, you don't, you know, the clerk who's being a jerk, you don't confront them. Hey, you know, I know you're checking me out here, but can we just talk about your attitude? You know, I hear every time I walk into Quick Check, I feel like you. That is not the point. There's a stranger. You just avoid a clerk who's a jerk. But if there's someone you deeply care about, you see them heading in the wrong direction, they're wasting their life, you have to speak the truth in love. Because if you never confront someone, you'll never be close to anyone. Because closeness requires conflict and confrontation. If you want to move from the surface shallow relationship to a deeper, meaningful, safer, honest one, you need the courage to confront and go through the tunnel of truth. First step, check your motivation. Ask yourself, if I bring this up with them, who's getting the benefit out of this, you know? (laughs) Is it me? Because I'm venting, I'm unloading, I'm blowing off some steam and like, wow, I feel better now. (laughs) Or am I truly saying it for their benefit? Once you have checked your motivation, then you take the second step and that is you plan your presentation. You actually think through ahead of time what you're going to say before you say it. Notice God gave you one mouth, two ears. It means listen twice as much, speak once as less. So you engage your mind, you give some thought before you put your mouth in gear. Proverbs 16:23 says this, intelligent people think before they speak. What they say then is more what? More persuasive. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nathan was saying, you know, you're never persuasive when you're what? Abrasive and he gave us sandpaper, great visual. If you want to be persuasive in a presentation, you got to give some careful thought to what you're going to say in advance. You see, Paul does this when he has to deliver this very painful truth to his friends in Corinth. He writes this. He says, I wrote you out of great, what? Great distress and anguish of heart and with many, what? Tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of what? My love for you. Paul's like, I had some tough things, right, to email you about, (laughs) But this wasn't impulsive, you know. I didn't just sit down and blast off an email, you know. Have you ever noticed how dangerous an impulsive email or text can be? You know, it feels good, right? You you vent, you know. You hit the button and it's gone. You're like, no, come back, (laughs) right? Well, no, no, no. I sat down and thought about this, guys. I agonized. I wept. That's how much I care about you. When I had to say some tough things you didn't want to hear, but you needed to hear because your life is jacked up, I really thought about it. I planned. I grieved. I agonized. So when you have a loving confrontation with your partner, with your kids, with, you know, a son or a daughter or a close friend or your parents, now you got power dynamics, right? You got to plan your presentation. And the first thing that means is you have to plan when you'll say it. When you have a tough issue to deal with in a relationship, have you noticed timing is everything, right? You don't want to bring up a sensitive subject when they're tired. You don't want to bring it up when they're under pressure or you're in a hurry. Let me sit down real quick and drop this on you. We've got this issue we got to deal with. You may be ready to deal with it. They may not be even ready to hear it. This is interesting. Columbia University did a study and discovered that the majority of arguments occur right before dinner more than any other time of the day right? That makes sense? Some of you are like, I have proof in my house, right? You know? Why? It makes sense, right? People are tired. They're cranky. We have low blood sugar. You know, we're not just hungry. We're hangry, (laughs) you know? Not a good time to bring up a major issue right before a meal. The point is this. You never just drop a bomb, you know, randomly. If you're doing this in love, you think about the best timing for them. When are they going to be the most rested? When when are they going to be ready to hear it? When can we do it in a private place, one-on-one. First you plan when you'll say it, and then you plan what you'll say. Proverbs twenty-five, eleven says this, the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. In other words, how you introduce a sensitive subject literally will determine whether it is received, I can hear that, or rejected. You're getting the Heisman stiff arm, okay? For example, um, let's say you want to talk with your spouse, you know, about the, how the house needs to be cleaner. You know, you don't say, "Hey, this place is a pigsty." You know, uh, can we talk about this? The roaches are begging for raid. Okay, you, or some other sarcastic remark. Sarcasm never, ever, never, ever works. Never. You got to choose the right words, the right time, and then the right tone. Here's one example from work. Someone wrote me this week. It said, Tim, I've certainly had a few hard-to-hear conversations at work over the last two years, but a really good one came up with my team member during her year-end review. She let me know during a performance review where she felt my shortcomings were as a manager. In other words, he's the boss reviewing her, and she's got some feedback for him. She she felt that we didn't have enough face time and didn't uh, feel as though I was present enough in some of our interactions. She was very sweet about it. And she brought it up with me only one-on-one behind closed doors. This honestly helped open my eyes to growth, not only in my daily work scenarios, but with my relationships in real life. That is very interesting. It had, uh, had a crossover effect. But listen to this. He says, I'll be honest. At the time, it did not feel super great. <laughs> but I'm so thankful she did share. I know it came from her care for me as a human being, not just as her boss. And sometimes that honesty and love is exactly what you need someone to say even though it's not always easy to hear at first. Isn't that encouraging? I thought that was like the coolest thing. What I love about it is this guy was the boss, right? But notice he didn't like get defensive, like, oh, excuse me, this is your performance review. Sit down on that stool. You know, I'm the expert. He didn't get like feel threatened about it. But literally his, her, his colleague was like, I have some hard to hear truth, you know? And this, this goes right at our ego. This is right at our pride, right? Let me show you how. Right now, I guarantee like 90% of you are thinking like, you are thinking of someone you need to have a conversation with. Have you ever considered there's someone right now thinking of you, (laughs) right? What? (laughs) We would never think that, okay? For those of you in the workplace, there are times when you must tell an employee or your boss something that's hard to hear. Maybe their performance isn't up to par, right? And you have to sit down. You got to have this hard conversation with how to improve. Guys, that's what it means to follow Christ in the workplace. You got to speak the truth in love. It is not loving when you tell someone, dude, awesome job, when they're they're falling apart, you know? That's love with deception. (laughs) This is about telling the truth in love. You don't say it rudely. You don't say it arrogantly or out of frustration or annoyance. You know, I need to sit down with me, you know. You never use the truth as a club. You don't beat people up or over the head with it. You say it lovingly. You say it gently. You may even lower your voice when you talk about it. Here's something I've found very, very helpful. A lot of times when I know I'm gonna share something that might be hard or, or 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 you know just just it might sting a little bit, a lot of times I'll offer a disclaimer. I'll say like, hey, I just can I talk with you about this. I could be wrong, but I feel like whenever I see you, da-da-da-da-da. Or hey, just disclaimer, I could be totally off base about this and not have all the facts, and I am certainly no expert on this. In fact, I've struggled with deadlines my whole life. But every time you tell me something's gonna be in, it's always a week late you begin by actually being humble yourself. You're not coming in as the expert. Okay, God's gift here. Uh, I want to drop a little truth on you. Uh, you're not the school teacher. You're not the authority. You're simply saying it in a humble way so that it can be received in a humble way. There's a really helpful equation. I'd love you to write this in your notes. It goes like this. Truth plus tact plus timing equals transformation. See, if you want a relationship change, if you want to transform something in your marriage, you want to change something about a a friendship and take it deeper, it takes more than just truth. It takes more than just bold truth. You got to have tactfulness the way that you say it. It's got to take timing, the right time to create the environment where the Holy Spirit then has freedom to transform somebody's life. And you got to do it in a gentle way that's for their benefit. Again, here's here's another uh, story that came in this week. This one I love. This is a, a young married couple. This says, my sweet husband has brought many things to my attention that I'd rather not hear, but I know are true and things I need to change. Here's the big one, Tim. I'm constantly interrupting him. I grew up in a household where we talk over each other and need to interrupt in order to get a word in. <laughs> well, his family's very different. And as a result, he sees interrupting as extremely rude, which it is. But the, this is great. The first few times I did it, especially in front of other people. Listen to this. My husband would gently put his hand on my knee to signal to me and squeeze it to tell me he was still speaking. I thought he was just being affectionate and to go on. (laughs) I love that. I didn't even know what it meant. Duh. (laughs) So finally, when we got home and we're no longer for other people, he dropped the truth bomb in love and told me how it made him feel when, when I interrupted. He said it feels like what he has to say isn't important and I don't care about it him, it felt like a knife to my heart. Me? Communicating that I don't care what he had to say? How could this be? I was devastated. My husband was gentle and kind, but he also said he understood my family background. He had witnessed it firsthand. <laughs> not, as, not as justification for my actions, but to offer understanding. And knowing how I made him feel was very helpful in motivating me to want to change. So I committed to trying my best, never to interrupt him again. Now, this behavior is so ingrained in me, and I'm flawed and selfish, I still interrupt on occasion. Though it seems like I'm making progress, it's slower than both of us would like. But now listen to this. However, I take comfort in knowing there's a flaw in me that we can talk about openly. And that each time I ask forgiveness, he offers it immediately, even when he's still angry about it. And this is the best line. She says, I have never had a relationship like this where dropping truth bombs is actually done out of love for each other and not to tear each other down, but to help each other grow. Is that amazing? Can we thank that couple just for sharing that story? They're amazing. Uh, Not a perfect marriage, right? Nobody has one. But this husband, just think about that husband, right? He could have harbored the hurt, you know? He could have hit his feelings and been like, oh, my big mouth wife, you know? But out of love for her, he took the risk to share his heart gently and humbly. Hey, I know you're not trying to be rude. You're not trying to like, you know, be disrespectful. You're not trying to make me feel like you don't care, but it feels like, man, you just run over me. And together they took their hand and took Jesus' hand and they drove through the tunnel of truth together. And guess what? Their marriage is what? Richer. It's stronger. It's more honest. It's more open. It's more safe. See, Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I'm writing these things. Not to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. It's out of love. Do you hear the compassion in Paul's voice? You hear it? I mean, every time he writes, I'm agonizing, I'm in tears. He's saying, I know what I'm about to say is probably gonna upset you, but I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm saying this because I genuinely care about this relationship. It's so important that I'm gonna take the risk to speak the truth in love. So first you check your motivation, then you plan your presentation. And the third thing you do then is give them affirmation. See, because the truth often does sting, you got to couch it in positive terms. You got to begin and end with affirmation. What are the positives, okay? In the middle of it is like a truth sandwich. Think of it that way, all right? Proverbs 12 says, a word of encouragement does does wonders. When you're sharing something hard to hear with somebody, you've got to affirm three things. What are you affirming? Well, the first thing you affirm is that you deeply love and care for them. I want, to, I, just, I want to share something that's very hard, but I'm telling you this because I love you. I care too much about this not to say anything. You want to affirm that you have prayed for them. Hey, I've just been praying for you, and I want to help you. You affirm that you're trying to help them. And then third, you need to affirm that you believe they can change, that God can help them change, and you believe this relationship can be better. You, want to, you say, I, I don't like conflict. This is hard for me, but I want to be closer and so I'm willing to have this confrontation. You affirm these things. You begin and end on a positive note, just like Paul did. I wish I had time to take you through First and Second Corinthians. In both letters, he begins with affirmation, and he ends with it. In 1 Corinthians 1, in fact, Paul begins his letter with these words. He says, oh, I always thank God for you. In other words, hey, just to start the topic, I just want to let you know, man, I'm always talking about you to God. <laughs> I am, like, so thankful for you. I have such gratitude for your friendship. I love you with all my heart. I talk about you to God all the time. Extremely positive. I always thank God for you. Then there's extremely hard truth for about 12 chapters. And he ends the letter, my love (laughs) to all of you in Christ Jesus, right? Think of it this way. It's a truth sandwich, right? There's a positive affirmation, hard truth, hard truth, hard truth, baloney. My love to all of you, positive affirmation. He begins and ends on a positive note. You know, Proverbs 28 says, In the end, people appreciate frankness more than what? Flattery. Now, if you're writing down verses, the key words here are in the end, okay? People appreciate, nobody appreciates this up front, okay? Nobody wants this in the beginning. If I came up to you after the service and say, uh, you know, hey, uh, you're like, hey, that was an interesting message. Oh yeah, you know what? You wanna go have coffee? Because I saw a few areas in your life uh, that need changing, right? What would you say? You would not be like, Well, thank you for that gift. I would love to sit down and get a truth sandwich with you. No thank you, right? You'd be like, who the heck do you think you are, right? You're God's gift. You'd be resentful, right? You'd be defensive. You, You might wince. Because sometimes when you speak the truth at first, it hurts. See, sometimes a surgeon actually has to cut the patient. He causes the body more pain in order to heal it. You know, the Bible says the truth will set you free. I think, of course, that's true. I would just add something to it. The truth will set you free, but first, it makes you miserable. (laughs) But it's a gift. It is a gift that can change someone's life. And it's a skill you have to practice to learn. We can't just talk about this, so I'm going to challenge you in a minute. My wife, Colleen, and I, we first started our marriage. We were terrible at this, right? I mean, we just used blunt force trauma. We're like, we're going to have an open, honest relationship. You know what I don't like about you? (laughs) Right? You know? You know, honey, that was a good meal, but you could fix some things. Like, how's that going to go, right? But then we started to give each other affirmation, and over the years, we've gotten so much better at speaking and receiving the truth from each other, but it's taken years of practice. It has taken apologies. It has taken awkward misunderstandings, but you can get better at this, guys. See, if you are committing, you're like, you know what? I'm taking the superficial, a little bit deep here. I want to be a master's level lover. You got to take these three steps and then the scariest one, the fourth and final step. This is the hardest of all. You have to be willing to risk their rejection. That they may not receive it, they may not hear it, but you're going to say it anyway. Man, this is the tough one, okay? But it is critical to speak the truth in love. You have to have the courage to risk their rejection, their stiff arm. Paul does this in 2 Corinthians 7. Look what he writes. I love this. It's so heartfelt. He says, I know I distressed you greatly with my letter. I know this upset you. Although I felt awful at the time, I don't feel bad now that I see how it turned out. This letter upset you, but only for a while, and you were jarred into turning things around. That's called repentance. You let the distress bring you to who? God. God. And that's what I was hoping for in the first place when I wrote this email. <laughs> it is, I'm not encouraging you to write emails, by the way. You need to do this face-to-face. It is scary to speak the truth in love to somebody because you don't know how they're going to react, right? And you've been in situations, right? You don't know. You're like, they may get mad, Tim. They may complete, like, like, forget that. They may walk out. They may misjudge your motivations. They may actually attack you. Oh, really? You think that about me? Well, let me tell you something, you know? You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why it's scary, because you don't want to risk being rejected. Guys, that's the reason we hide our feelings. That's the reason we stuff our emotions, because our fear of them is greater than our love for them. Does that convict anybody? And because we don't want to take the risk, we settle for these shallow, surfacey relationships. Uh, Colleen and I were experts at this early in our marriage. We suppressed the truth, you know. We hid our feelings. We ignored issues. We swept everything under the rug, right? Just to, and we thought we were doing the right thing. Well, we want to maintain the peace in our relationship, you know. We'd sweep it under the rug. We'd sweep it under the rug. Sweep that one under the rug. Suddenly, there's this giant lump under the rug in the living room, and we're walking around it and sort of like tripping over. I didn't see that, you know. And all of a sudden, boom, kaboom. And it blows up. Some of us have elephant-sized lumps in the living room of our relationships. See, you have to be willing to risk rejection because you love that person too much. And you want that deeper, richer, honest intimacy. And you're even willing to absorb some of that initial anger or upset because you love them and you're committed to them for life, for the growth. So you guys, loving conflict takes extraordinary courage. That's why I said this message is for mature audiences only. You know, when we started this series a few weeks ago, I had everybody fill out this little self-assessment at the beginning of their group's guide where we rated our relationships right, with our parents, with our spouse, relative, coworkers, neighbors, difficult people in our life with our kids. I realize some of you may have somebody on here and you're like, man, I haven't felt love for them in weeks, in months, maybe even years, you know? You know why? It's because you're hiding your feelings, you're suppressing the truth instead of speaking the truth in love. You're actually pushing it down. And here's the impact, you're killing the relationship. I'm not saying they're innocent. There's plenty of things that that need to be addressed there. But if you remain silent, I'm not going to say anything. They can just, you're killing the relationship. And unless you do something, unless you say something, it is probably going to atrophy and die. The truth is it has almost zero chance of improvement unless you ask Christ for the courage to speak the honest truth in authentic love. So I want to close today by asking you a very frank question, okay? And I just want to warn you, it's going to make you mad, okay? <laughs> it's going to create conflict in you, and you're going to be like, now I'm angry at you, Lucas. All right, you ready? Okay, this is my make you mad question. Who do you need to have an honest conversation with? Who might God be calling you to speak the truth in love to? Is somebody in your family or a close friend? Maybe it's a member of your small group. My sense is that as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has probably surfaced a name and a face in your mind this morning. And when you look at this list, can you think of somebody in your family who's, you know, overbearing and controlling and nobody's ever loved them enough to tell them the truth about it? Do you have someone in your life who you know they're wasting their life, they're making disastrous choices and nobody's confronting them? Is there someone who you care about who is flirting with temptation you're like, well, man, who am I to judge? I'm not my brother's keeper. Totally not application of that verse. Speak the truth in love. Do you see a teenager headed down the wrong direction? Maybe they're getting involved in bad stuff and their parents aren't going to say anything about it. How about you as a friend? Will you care enough to speak the truth in love? Here's an even harder question. Ready? What's the lump under your rug? What are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationships right now. What are you pretending not to see? I don't see that elephant in the living room. (laughs) It's hard guys. Maybe it's telling a friend with love and compassion, it is finally time for rehab. You've know, you done the recovery groups, we have prayed and prayed together, but you are less and less successful staying clean. That is a very hard conversation. When you have to tell a loved one that they have a problem they need to seek professional treatment. It requires tremendous courage, compassion, and I would say supernatural discernment. But maybe it's time. Maybe there's somebody in your life and their behavior constantly disappoints you. It could be a parent but you've just never given them a chance. You know, I know a grown woman who was constantly complaining that her mother never called her or checked in on her. And she's like, she doesn't even just check in. And then when she finally did talk with her, her mother would just talk about trivial stuff, you know? weather and and sports and stuff. And um, you have to ask like, hey, did you ever tell your mom about this? Did you ever tell your mom you'd like to have a deeper substantive relationship than just on the surface? And she's like, no, why not? She'll never change. Is that loving? How sad is that? Not very loving. Love always gives others a chance to change, to love deeper. So often we expect people to be mind readers, but not everybody is. See, guys, this is master's level loving. You care enough to have conflict. You care enough to speak the truth in love. And it is totally counterculture. This is how the church is different. This is a difference of what it means to follow Christ. You know what the culture tells you? You know what? Let everybody do what they want to do and don't judge. Don't worry about it. It's no skin off my nose. You know, if they want to go mess up their life, you know, or destroy their relationship, that's fine. What if God wants to use you to change a life with his truth? I mean, imagine what would happen. What would happen if all those underground subterranean tensions were brought to the surface and dissipated in our church, in our small groups, in our homes, in our families, because we cared enough to speak the truth in love? Can you imagine the impact? I'll close with this story. A man who wrote, I struggled with pornography for 30 years, but a year and a half ago, my fiance confronted me with my sin. She had no evidence. But she just suspected it from my behavior, and she took a big risk, I'll say. I came clean with her. And now for the first time in my life, I'm finally getting help through recovery. I am so glad she loved me enough to bring up the issue. Listen to those words. I am so glad that she loved me enough to bring up the issue. I'll ask again. Who do you need to have an honest conversation with. Whoever it is, don't delay. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't wait till next year. Do it now. Do it this week. Spend some time with Jesus Christ. Ask for his mind. Ask for the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to take Christ's hand and walk through the tunnel of truth together. Amen? If you need that courage, we're here to pray for you today. We're going to offer prayer for people. If you've got a relationship, a mind, a name, a face, and you need help, come on up after the service. We're going to pray for you. Also, in your small groups this week, I'm going to encourage you to pray for each other when you meet. We want to help you get through this tunnel and become a master's level lover. Over time, I pray you will, and I want to pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads with me, all our campuses? Just take a moment of prayer. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to apply God's truth to our heart. If you're here this morning at any campus <laughs> and you're like, the Spirit is talking to me. I got a relationship that I'm scared about. I'm scared to tell the truth. But I know God wants more. Would you just raise your hand where you're sitting? Just raise your hand so I can see it. A ton of hands. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Okay, lots of people. Okay, no surprise there. If that's you, if you're like, I want to go to a deeper level of loving, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. Just pray this from your heart. Dear God, this is scary stuff. You know how much I hate conflict. I don't like rocking the boat. But I see what's going on, and I know it's not right. So, Father, give me the courage I need to talk to this person I love. Help me to check my motives first. Purify my heart, Lord. Help me to find the right words and the right time to say it. Help me be positive and and sandwich the truth in love and affirmation. But Jesus, I am willing to risk rejection in an attempt to save this relationship, just like you did with me. I'm willing to face the pain or anger because I love this person. I really want what's best for them. So, Father, I ask you to use me in this most difficult expression of genuine love. Lead us as we go through the tunnel of truth together. In Jesus' name. Everyone said together,